you have your Bible, would you take it and join me in the book of John? John chapter 3, you might be familiar with a verse that comes from that chapter. And that's the verse we're going to look at this morning. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And I just want you to know this. If nobody's told you, God loves you. He really does. God loves you today. Now, I know this about myself. I'm going to speak for myself because I can't speak for you. All right? But I know that it did not, I didn't have to wait to start school before I became a sinner. All right? And the reason I say that, you'll, you'll understand why I said that in just a minute. But I'm sure that I started sinning at a very young age. Because if you think about it, I was brought home from the hospital to two sinners. My mom and daddy had already both been sinners. I was born into a hospital that was run by sinners. <laughs> when they got me home, they brought me home to a neighborhood full of sinners. So it didn't take long for me to figure out how to sin. Now, is that true of you? Don't, don't speak too loud, all right? Unless you just want to just confess today. But I'm, I'm just confessing. I know that I am a sinner. But the reason I said earlier I didn't have to wait to start school, I remember that in, I was in the first grade, and my first semester of the first grade, I got my first report card, and I was so excited because I knew I'd been trying really hard in class and been doing really well. And when I brought my report card home, it was in a sealed envelope, and I uh, got the print. Mom and Daddy said, you're going to open your report card because it says, you know, to the parents of Matt Endress. So I didn't open it. And I brought it home, and they said, well, open it up. Let's see what you made. So I opened it up, and then I started looking down the column, and man, sure enough, A, B, A, B. I mean, all A's and B's. Boy, I was so proud. First grade, going to show off a support card. And I got to the bottom of the list, and it said conduct, and it wasn't an A, and it wasn't a B. It was a C. Now, Y'all don't know my dad real well, but I learned real quick that I was not as good as I thought I was, all right? And so I can tell you, I can remember this 38 years ago, I can tell you exactly what he said in that moment. He didn't yell or scream or anything, he didn't do nothing crazy like that, but he just set me down, this is what he did. He set me down, he said... Matt, he said, I want you to know this. Son, we don't act like this at school or anywhere. He said, you are able. He said, I know that you're able to act better than this and make a better grade in conduct than this. And I want you to know I'm really disappointed. Now... Even right now, I can feel it. A little boy, for a daddy to say, I'm very disappointed. 38 years ago, I can still feel those hot tears coursing down my face. I can even feel it right now. Because you want your mama and your daddy to be proud. You want your heavenly father to be proud, don't you? Don't you? So when they say I'm disappointed, that's, I didn't have to have a spanking. 
They got my attention full on. So 38 years later, I can still feel that moment. It was formative in my life. It gripped my heart and made me realize I have a problem called sin that I can't do anything about, but I have parents who love me. Listen, you've got a sin problem that you can't fix, but you've got a God that loves you. You have a God who loves you, and he's proven it to you. I hope you have your Bible in John 3.16, because in these two verses, he proves to us that even though while we're still sinners, he still loves you. And he has a way, he has the way, to deal with your sin problem. Now, I knew that my dad loved me, and I knew I had broken his heart, but more importantly, I knew that I had broken fellowship with him because he, he, I sensed that things weren't the same as they were before I came home with that sea in conduct. Uh, and I knew my parents were disappointed, but I also knew that they weren't going to abandon me or give up on me. And the same is true with God. Just because you may sin, and you will sin, and believe me, you've already sinned. You just have. But God hasn't thrown you away or given up on you He's disappointed in our sin, and there's no doubt. But he's not throwing you away. Instead, he's got a way, or the way, to help cover your sin. Early on in life, I read Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12, and it changed my life in this way. I, I began to think on this verse. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Read that again. Look at that carefully. Hatred stirs up strife. What does that mean? That means if you hate someone or something that is right or good, that it's only going to cause you great problems and strife and heartache in life. And so think about this. Sin is when we hate God's authority over us. Listen, God is God all by himself, and he don't need nobody else. That's the way the old preacher used to say it. What that means is God is the only God that is, and He is in charge. He is supreme. He is the ultimate authority. And whenever I say in my heart, I don't care what God thinks, I'm going to do it my way, that's, that's me hating His authority and hating His position and, in essence, hating Him. And when I do that, you know what it only does? It stirs up strife in my heart and in my life, and it causes disfellowship between me and God. And it comes in between, and so sin does that. It comes in between us. But here's the good news. God's love can cover all your sins. It really can. He can cover. Now listen, God does not ignore sin. He cannot ignore sin. He cannot do it. Because it is an affront to His holiness and His character and who He is. But God still loves you, so He comes up with a way, the way, to deal with our sin problem. So God, like my parents, didn't ignore sin. By the way, I don't remember whatever came out of that sea other than that conversation. That's the only thing I can remember, and it still affects me today. But, you know, all I know is this. Mama and Daddy helped me deal with the issue. We corrected the issue, and then they gave me a way through the issue. That's what God does. God has a way to confront us with our sin, help us deal with our sin and correct the problem, and then move through it on in life. You don't have to stay stagnant and stale, locked into a prison of sin in your life. You don't have to do that. 
You don't have to be that way. God can forgive sin. He can help you find a way through the consequences of sin and move on in life. And so that's really important for us to remember. But I want you to start, before we read John 3, 16 and 17, think about this real quick with me. How many C's did I have to bring home before my daddy confronted me? How many? Just one. Uh, so how many notes home from the teacher did it require to get my, my attention? Just one. How many sins does it take to make you and I sinners? Just one. Just one. That's it. What's, how many ways is it to be forgiven of sin? Just one. Just one. It's right here. Look at John 3, 16 and 17. Jesus speaking says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Well, look at that verse uh, 17. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. We were already condemned in our sin. That wasn't the issue. Jesus didn't have to come to condemn us. We were already headed the wrong way. Look, it only takes one sin to head you on the road to hell. That's all it takes, just one. We were already headed that way. So Christ didn't come to condemn us any further. Instead, he came to offer us the way of salvation, the way of deliverance, the way to have our sins covered, removed, wiped out, done away with. And this was demonstrated and came about because of God's great love. So uh, to help put this in perspective, I want us to think about what David said about his sin. Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4, David gives us something to think about related to the way we see that sin that comes about in our life. He said, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Who's Peter, who was David talking to? He's talking to God. He's praying to God, and he's saying, the Lord, I know... I've caused my own trouble. The hatred that I had for you in my sinfulness, in my sin, has brought about great strife, and it's my fault, but I know that you can be blameless when you judge. You will judge my sin. You're going to judge my sin, Lord. I know that. But I also know that, God, you can be merciful. David knew that. He knew David could be merciful. He knew his sin stirred up strife between he and God. He knew God was the judge. He knew God would deal with his sin. And it was difficult for David in that moment. But listen to this. It is better for you and I to be aware of our sin and be willing to admit our sin and be ready to repent of our sin than it is for us to become numb in our sin, ignore our sin, think God will ignore our sin, and instead find ourselves headed the wrong direction in life with nothing but heartache ahead of us. So I want you to look with me in John 3 because here's a fella named Nicodemus that Jesus is having a conversation with. And Nicodemus was a good old boy. Kind of like me, I thought I was a good old boy in first grade. Man, I'm making A's and B's and everything. Until we got to conduct, right? Nicodemus was making A's and B's in, in, in life. Man, he, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. One of the leaders in his country. He was one of the preeminent teachers of the law. This guy had a good life, but he had one problem. He had a C on his conduct mark. He was a sinner, and he'd become numb to that fact, 
and he didn't think it was anything worth dealing with. But look at this in verse 2. When he came to Jesus by night, he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus was focused on the externals of his life. He said, I've seen you performing miracles, Jesus. You're doing these signs that no one else could do unless they came from God. So I'm wondering, in his mind, he's wondering, are you the Messiah? He doesn't ask that question, but that's what he's pondering. How do we know that? Because look what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus knew Nicodemus was worried about the coming kingdom of God. He knew that he was looking for an earthly Messiah because guess what? Nicodemus had a political problem. You know, folks got all kinds of problems in life. I have problems, you have problems, people have problems. Sin creates problems in our life. Sometimes we have emotional problems and mental problems because of our sin. There's great guilt and shame that comes, and mentally we have trouble dealing with that and processing that. Emotionally, we're just a wreck, and we're empty, and we're heartbroken and heartache, and we don't know how to deal with the depression and things that we're going through in life, so we can be a a wreck emotionally and mentally. Sometimes it's physically we have so many problems in life and maybe they're the results of other problems we've allowed into our life. Maybe people have addiction problems with alcohol or drugs or, or pornography or all kinds of manner of things that just begin to consume them and physically they begin to run down and deteriorate and become even ill. I mean, just having hard, a hard time and, 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 and people need help for that physical help they need to go see a doctor or they need a, a counselor or they need someone to help them along getting through some of these things in life but you know ultimately those external problems really are the result of an internal situation that's really what it comes down to Nicodemus had a political problem <laughs> he said we gotta get rid of these Romans but Jesus said no that's not the real issue no that's not the real issue if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to see God as the authority of your life, ruling and reigning in your life, then you must be born again. There's a spiritual need, a spiritual problem that needs to be dealt with and needs to, needs to change in your life. And so what Jesus is trying to point out to him in this moment is what he wants us to understand. Listen, God's got the way to deal with our most pressing problem, which is sin, which is a spiritual issue. And the way he does that is that God is doing it by demonstrating his love to us in that he's requiring justice for our sin. Did you know that? God requires justice for our sin. And you know what? That means he loves us. You say, wait a minute, preacher. How does that mean that God loves me? If God is determined to punish my sin, punish the sin, how in the world could that show me that God loves me? You know what it means? It means God doesn't want to leave you in the condition you're in. God wants to change you. And God's got a hope and a future for you that he wants you to have. But it has to start by confronting the sin problem. That's what my mom and daddy did with me, right? They took that, that report card out and daddy said, Son, oh, negative, Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. We don't act like this. That's a quote from Top Gun, in case you're wondering. But anyway, you know, daddy said, Son, this, this doesn't work. You can't have a C. He had to confront me with the sin problem. We can't act like this. You can't live like this. And God says you can't continue that way. You can't continue this way. If you do, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. And so he confronts us with this sin problem. And he helps us to know that he's got a plan. And Nicodemus knew that he needed help. 
Notice what Jesus does. He goes on in conversation. He explains not only is this a spiritual issue, and he addressed that in verses 5 through 8. He talked about how this is something inside of you that has to change. But if you get down in, your, in the passage to about verse 11, he, he starts talking about how God's already proven this to you in the past. He's already shown it to you in the past. Look at verse, look at verse 15. He says, or verse 14. He says, You remember how Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now what Jesus was talking about was when Israel, many, many years before, the nation of Israel had wandered away from God. And God needed to justly punish their sin. And so what happened, if you read this in Numbers chapter 21, you can do this a little later, look at it. In Numbers 21, the people had had a big victory. And they thought they were doing really good. We're doing good. We've had a victory in life. They conquered some Canaanite foes, defeated them in battle. We're doing great. But then they turned inward, and inwardly they were a bunch of belly acres and complainers. And just because they weren't getting things their way, they began to cry out against God. Look at verse 7. It says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. What was going on? You know what God did when the people started bellyaching and grumbling and complaining against God rather than looking to God for help? He sent poisonous snakes among them. Well, that'll get your attention, won't it? And the snakes began to bite them, and people began to die. And so they cried out for help, and Moses did pray for them. And God said, Moses, here's what you do. Take, take a pole, make a bronze serpent, attach it to the pole, hold it up, and have them look at that pole and help them remember that that I sent the serpents because of their sin. You know what God was telling them? He says, show them on this pole how I'm going to judge them because of their sin. What did Jesus say? Who is going to be lifted up? The Son of Man. In the same way, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And those who believe in Him, you see, Jesus knew that He would be the one who would bear the judgment for our sin. And he said, everyone who believes in me, believes in this, they'll be saved. What's he saying? God loves you so much, he doesn't want to leave you in your sin. And the way for him to deal with your sin, because it has to be dealt with. He can't ignore it. The way to deal with it is God said, I'm going to let Jesus carry your sin. I'm going to let Jesus bear your sins to the cross. I'm going to let him die in your place. And I'm going to let him be the one who receives the judgment. So uh, what we're learning is this, is that God's love then is therefore universal. It's universally displayed to every person and that every person has the opportunity to receive this. So verse 16 begins this way. For God so loved just a few people? No, for God so loved who? The world. For God so loved the world that he gave. He loved everybody. Listen, God's desire is that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Y'all remember in the Old Testament, there was a story about a guy named Noah. Noah built an ark. Why? Because the whole world had turned against God. The whole world had turned against God. And everyone was sinning in every imagination of their heart and mind. Read Genesis 6, 5 and 6. You'll see that. And God said, that's it. I'm starting over. I'm wiping them out. But then God got to thinking about this. You know what? No, I'm going to provide the way. I'm going to have a way for them to escape the punishment, the justice, and the judgment on their sin. You know what God did? He said, I'm going to create a craft that they could enter into and survive this great flood I'm going to bring on the earth. And so for 120 years, Noah worked on an ark. 
He worked for a long time. And at whole time, God was saying, come into the ark. Come into the ark. This is the way to be saved. Come into the ark. This is the way to be saved. And guess who got in the ark? Not many people. Not many people, right? It was just eight. Noah and his family, and his wife and his family, his children and their, their spouses. And that's the only one, and, with, and some animals. And those are the only people that were saved through that experience. But God was showing, he was showing an illustration. Listen, I don't want people to perish in their sin. I want to give them the way out. I want them to be forgiven. I want them to have a way of salvation. My love is for every person that I've ever made. Listen, Christ died for the old. He died for the young. He died for the rich. He died for the poor, for the slave and the free. Folks, Christ died for you, and he died for me. He died for all of us. And we need to remember that. That's what Peter said, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Listen, don't think because God's holding off on his judgment on this world that all of a sudden he's gone to sleep. He said, that's not the way it is. He's not slack concerning his promises, but instead he's being patient that giving people an opportunity to repent of their sins and be saved from the judgment that is coming. So here's the second thing that he tells us in verse 16. He loves the whole world, but look at this. He, 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 so what he decided to do was to give his only begotten son. And so we learn this, that God loves you so much that he's reserved judgment for his son. He's reserved judgment for our sins on his son, and he's given judgment over to his son to exact at some later date. So Jesus is the one who not only took the penalty for our sin, but he's also the soon-coming judge who will judge the sins of the world. He's the just judge who can do that. So God determined to spare us the condemnation of our sin by letting Jesus take our place. God showed mercy to us by giving Jesus on the cross. Many, many hundred years before Jesus died on the cross, there was a fellow named Abraham. You know, We know about Noah and the flood. Well, there's another fellow later named Abraham. And Abraham didn't have any children. And boy, he wanted a son so bad. And he prayed all the time, Lord, would you please give me a son? Would you please give me an heir? See, God had made Abraham a promise that he was going to be the father of many nations. And he said, Lord, how can I be the father of many nations if I don't even have a son? How is this going to happen? And he prayed and prayed. And finally, one day, what did God do? He gave him a son. Even in his old age, he gave him a son. He named Isaac. And then one day, in Genesis 22, we read about this. God told Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him to me on, on the mountain I show you. And Abraham backed up and he said, whoa, wait a minute, Lord. The son you gave me, my only son, sacrifice him to you? He said, yes, Abraham. Well, Abraham didn't do much talking. You know what he did? he did? He did a little walking. He got his servants together. He got his son, and up the mountain they went. And when he got on top of the mountain, he went to do what God told him to do. He was going to sacrifice his son, take the life of his son in that moment. Because here's the thing. In his soul, he was grieving. But in his spirit, he had faith that God could do something amazing. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews helps us here. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19 says that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding, he thought this, God was able to raise him up, even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? It was a picture. 
God was giving us a foreglimpse, a picture, a commercial for what was really coming later. Isaac didn't die. God saved Isaac, and, he didn't, and Abraham didn't have to kill him. God put a lamb or a ram in his place, and they sacrificed the ram instead. But when it came to Jesus, God didn't hold back his hand, did he? What did God do with Jesus? He let him die. He sacrificed him. Why? For me and for you. So here's what we're learning, that God's love is sacrificial, isn't it? It's, sacri- it's universal. It's for everybody, and it's sacrificial. He's given everything. For everybody, he's given everything that we could ever need to find the way to be forgiven of our sin right there. Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is forced, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What's Paul saying? Listen, everything you need to live this life God's way, you can find in Jesus. That's what he's saying. If God gave his son, his only son, for you, and he let him die in your place, don't you think God can also freely give you everything you need in him who rose from the dead? Don't you think he can give you eternal life? And that's what he's saying, that God is for you. He loves you. He wants you to come to him. He's not against you. God doesn't hate you. No, he loves you, and he wants to cover your sin. You have to come to a place to realize, I can't fix me. Only God can do it. And so you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself to the Lord. You have to be, as Paul said, a living sacrifice. You have to just say, Lord, I can't fix my sin. you got to fix me, so I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to lay up on that altar, and I'm going to let you do what you want to do with me. I'm going to let you change my heart. I'm going to let you start changing my mind and my conduct and everything. I want to conform to just be just like Jesus. I want, that's who I want to be like. And you have to get to that place until we get to the place where we're letting him do what he wants and being fully obedient in our daily life, then we'll never find peace in our life. We'll never have what we really need. There's one little last thing in verse 16, verse 17 we need to look at. Notice this. For God so loved the world, so his love is universal. He wants to give everybody this gift. He gave his only begotten son. All right, so he, he was sacrificial. And look at this last part. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, here's the thing. God loves you so much that he resurrected Jesus for eternal salvation. He let Jesus come back from the dead to prove to us that he could change our life. If he can take life, give life, he can fix a life. He really can. He really can. God can fix your broken pieces. He can make you whole again. He can restore your soul and lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He can do that. He can make us who we need to be. I like what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. What does that mean? We've been born again. Spiritually speaking, we've been made a whole new person to a living hope through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Christ rose from the dead, I know I can rise from the dead one day. My body's going to die. They're going to put me in the grave. It's going to happen unless Christ returns first. It's going to happen. But it won't stay that way. 
if my living hope is in Christ, if I'm trusting Jesus with all of my life, He'll give me new life. And He'll give me something that's incorruptible and undefiled, He says there, that's waiting for us in heaven that can't fade away. I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited and delighted that I've been invited. What about you? I'm telling you, y'all, there's nothing better than to know these things. So then in 2 Peter, look what Peter says in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, then therefore his divine power, God's got the power to give you all things that pertain to life and godliness. You can live the life God intended you to live. You can. Now, you can't do it on your own. Who's got to help you? It's his divine power. It's Jesus living in you. His divine power has to fix you. You can't do it on your own. You can't fix your problems. He's got to do it in you. You've got to surrender and submit yourself. And he'll do that. He'll call you by his glory and his virtue. He'll make you to be who he wants you to be and designs you to be. So here's what we're learning, that God's love is beneficial. It's, it's beneficial. Man, there's no better benefit package in the world. You know, y'all, sometimes people take a job. They'll take a new job. and Boy, they're so excited because they got a job with benefits. Woo! Boy, and they're pumped up. Man, I, I, I got this new job, Brother Matt. They've got insurance and blah, blah, blah. You know, they're kind of thinking about some of these benefits. I get to be off on every other Saturday. And, you know, I, and, you know they have these benefits in their mind. They're thinking, this is so good. And you know what we learn? That all those things, the things of this world, they, they tend to grow strangely dim when we begin to see things from God's perspective and realize just all the benefits that come from knowing Him who made us. So that's what it's about. And the only way to do that is to receive this gift from Jesus because he did it for you. Think about that. We were headed on the highway to hell when Jesus stepped in and saved us. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Mm. So the believer will not be condemned. The believer, the follower of Christ, will... Never be captive to sin. The believer will become a new creation. The follower will be declared righteous and redeemed and forgiven and will be the recipient now of eternal life that never fades and never dies. Aren't you looking forward to that one day? Listen, if you're sitting in this room and you say, Brother Matt, I don't know that I've ever had that or I don't know that I have that. If you're not certain that you've ever really surrendered your life to Christ and you don't know that He saved you in your heart, you don't know, and you're not sure, what better day than to settle that right now today? Would you join me even right now in prayer? Let's pray together right now. Let's take a moment to pray. Because Christ wants to save us. He doesn't want us to, to suffer and struggle on our own but without Him. And so right now, if you don't know that you're a Christian and you want to be, would you pray this simple prayer of faith? In your heart or in your mind or out loud, would you just say this? Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. But Jesus, I don't want to stay this way. Would you save me? Would you tell him something like this? Would you pray, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross in my place. Thank you that you rose from the dead for me and then would you say this Lord would you come and live in my life would you forgive me for my sin 
Listen, if you'd pray that prayer and you mean that with all your heart, right now, He'll forgive you. Right now. And He'll wash away your sins and He'll make you clean and pure before Him. But you need to commit your life to Him. You need to get serious and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to start living life your way. So would you pray this too? Would you just simply pray this? Lord, help me to have courage to follow you every day of my life. Look, if you'd pray that and you'd really mean it, he'll, he'll save you today. He'll help you today to be committed to him every day of your life. Lord, there may be some today who prayed that prayer for the first time and they really meant it and they really want to follow you and they're not sure even how to get started. So Lord, help us as a church family to help them. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, just in a moment, I want to invite you to do something. In a moment, we'll all stand together. We'll all sing. And I'll give you this invitation. If you, if you do it, I'll stand here at the front. Brother Jay will also be here. We'd love to pray with you about your life and where you are and how to help you get started walking with the Lord. And so we'll, we'll, we'll challenge you today just to take that step of faith today and say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm serious and I'm ready to follow you. So if the Lord's moving in your heart, you'd do that even today. Father, help us this day to honor you and to live our lives faithfully committed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me right now? As you stand, we're going to sing. As we sing, if you need to come today, you come right now as we sing.